2020 changed the trajectory of my life forever. I was 24, succeeding in a job that offered huge financial reward, yet I was unhappy and unfulfilled. My chronic illness, cystic fibrosis, had caused my lungs to bleed and it left me in a hospital bed. Now I left that job and created this podcast and I left that hospital bed to run marathons and prove that we aren't defined by our circumstances, but rather how we respond to them. On this show, we discuss the adversity that my guests and I face and how we overcome that adversity. This is a lot to talk about. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It's your boy, the captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Driver. Of course, you're more than welcome to call me Brad. Here with a good friend of mine, a man who we call Lano Insano for very good reason. Um, the Insano is because he likes to push his body to the limits, which we're going to talk about today. Um, but without further ado, from your home car or wherever you are, give a very warm welcome to the one, the only, Lane Storia. How are you, brother? Good, mate. Good. I love that intro. All the time when I listen to your potties, it's like, out of all the podcasts, I reckon that's got to be one of the best intros going around. But I don't, I don't know how it's not out there more. <laughs> Bro, we just freestyle it. You know how it is. Mate, it's, but you ne- you've, I don't think you've got it wrong once. I haven't heard it wrong once yet. Fair to say. Um, Fair to say. I'll take You're, it. I'll just, take just, it. A, just a master of the skill. Like, even when I started doing my little bits of potty, I was like, trying to think of an intro. I was like, you just can't match that. You can't match it. <laughs> I tell you what, I had a tough one yesterday. I had a, a lad come down, really, really good dude, um, Nigerian background. And then he, I got him to, to tell me his last name a couple of times and I just couldn't get the middle of it. I just kept butchering it. So, um, but it happens. It you're, happens. Not, you're not extremely perfect then, mate. I can't be perfect in every area of my life, oh, you know, mate. so um, there's, no, there no, are certain downfalls. 99 out of 100 ain't bad, eh? 100%, 100%. <laughs> Um, it's good to see you, brother. I'm really excited for today. Obviously, we talked about this a couple of months ago as you announced some pretty big news, which feels like it was yesterday that we had a mm. conversation. I think it was April 1st. Yeah. That yep, the big yep, announcement that was, uh, dropped. That, that was a big igni- announcement and now we're under two months. Scary. Scary. So for those of you listening, watching, the big announcement is that this absolutely insane fellow will be completing 36 half Ironmans in 36 days. Now, if you don't know what a half Ironman is, it's a, let me make sure I nail this, a 1.9 kilometer swim, a 90 kilometer bike and a 21.1 kilometer run. There we go. Absolutely insane. (laughs) Absolutely insane. How are you feeling about it? Two months out. Two months out. I'm feeling pretty good. It's um, surprising. We done the biggest load week two weeks ago, um, which was pretty much half the distances of the week. So I was, we done about 70, 75 K of running for the week, 240 K on the bike and eight K in the pool, which is thereabouts of what I'll be half completing over the week. Um, while still doing my full-time job and all this, uh, general one around of life, I guess. So I was, I was pretty confident coming out of that until I got to the, the Monday after that week where the body just obviously had to absorb everything that I'd trained for over that week. And it just, smashed me in one day and I was like oh yeah this is this is what I'll be dealing with over the challenge but in the sense of it I'm actually really excited I think having the event will sort of create some I don't know some sort of brutality as well behind it because I've got so much focus towards that event whilst I'm in the event and I don't have to worry about all the other things that life throws at you um, so yeah I'm, I'm feeling pretty confident but that could all change in the space of two days as well so it's just going to be a big grit fest, I reckon. Bloody oath it will be. I guess for context and a little bit more clarity for everyone listening, watching on, this will kick off on the 1st of September. So it's likely that you'll be listening to this episode maybe just over a month out from the actual start of the challenge. But let me tell you, with 36 days of absolutely grueling tests on the body, you'll have plenty of time to dive in and support this fella. Talk to me about why 36 half Ironmans in 36 days. Like, where does that come from? So the the first thing that sort of got me the triathlon was I'd actually watched a documentary on um, the Iron Cowboy who he's got a documentary where he does 50 states of America, 54 Ironmans in 50 days, which that honestly just blew my mind. And that was only 
probably about 18 months ago that I watched that. And I think I watched it four times in the first week of watching it. I was just gobsmacked that someone's body could go through that. Um, just absolute physical and mental. Like he was averaging two hours of sleep and it was just like such a grueling challenge. And pretty much ever since then, I just got hooked on triathlon to a degree where I rocked up to my first triathlon sort of, they do like a club meet down at um, Macquarie Fields there. And I rocked up there on the first Sunday and I just went and told people, oh yeah, I'm going to go and do an Ironman without actually ever doing a little triathlon or anything before. And everyone's looking at me going, oh, so like how long have you done triathlon for? I'm like, oh, this is going to be my first one, which was just like a little sprint try. I think it was like a 300 meter swim, a 20K bike ride and a 4K run. And I hadn't even done that yet. And I was just telling people, like, I was, so everyone I was speaking to like, oh yeah, I want to do a, like, I'm just going to start doing these Ironmans like they're nothing. And within that first little sprint triathlon, I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is a real deal because it's one of those things I, for me, swimming, I'd struggle with. And it's also, I'd never ridden a bike either. So like, unless I was five years old, when I, you learn how to ride, ride a bike. But it was all these new little skills that I had to learn that it was really difficult for me. Obviously, I can get out and run, but I just, I really struggled with trying to get all those little skills. And I got addicted to the whole process of how do I get better, even though I haven't got much better at swimming. Um, it's just one of those things that I really got hooked into right away. And so once I got into that, I was like, oh, what's the biggest and best thing to do? Which then sort of led me down the path of, um, I thought I might, might as well take stepping stones instead of going for the full Ironman straight away. I don't think my body would um, probably be able to comprehend that this early on in the journey, but I want to try and get stuff done as quick as soon as possible. And I thought the best way to do that was to go for the world record of most consecutive half Ironmans, which is currently 35. So why not one up it? You know what I love? You made a statement in that little explanation there where you said, you know, obviously I could get out and run now. Let's just clear this up for everyone that's tuning in because maybe that's a gross overstatement because I remember meeting you for the first time and I, I can't recall exactly what time of the year it was. Can you, when it was your first active boys uh, meetup? I think it would have been around May, maybe I reckon. April around May. May last year. Yeah. yeah I'd, I'd say yeah. that's pretty accurate because I remember it being chilly enough but not yeah. too cold down in the gong and yep. you come along um we got on like a house on fire straight away yeah we went for a 12k run and when he finished the run he said that's the longest i've ever run <laughs> and then i still remember us having a conversation about running and you just come off the back of 75 hard and had found this new lease of life in discipline and and challenging yourself in areas that you'd never really challenged yourself before yep and then i remember us leaving the beach um you, myself, and Eli going for a coffee at Liamy, the local little, in town. Little coffee date. <laughs> little coffee date. And we sat there and Eli and I had both run marathons at this point. I think I was on my, I was training for my third. Eli had done, I think, two as well. And you sat in front of us after running your first ever 12K, your longest ever run, and said, yeah, I think I'm going to run 100K at the end of the year. And I still remember sitting there and going, <laughs> boy, don't you have some things to learn? <laughs> and mate let me tell you you've taught me you've taught uh, me i yeah. believed wholeheartedly you'd get it done because i could see <laughs> you had that you had that fucking mongrel in you you know what i mean yeah. like you're a hard bastard when you set yourself a challenge but it's crazy to think that in that space of time like it'll be just under 18 months since you ran your first 12k that you're going to tackle something of this size mm, yeah and i think even though i sort of said that I never actually thought about the 100K until I think four or five, or maybe six or seven weeks before I ran it. Mm. It was one of those things. I'd, I'd done the 12K and I was like, oh, 100K is easy. But then I sort of went onto the path of the hot, like the um, that training for the half Ironman that I went and done in September. And it was one of those things, I think, as much as, as you sort of put it out there, I guess. And I'd, I'd never actually looked back to that stage until I think two weeks before I'd done the 100K when you started talking about it that I said that at the start of the year. And I was like, Oh, I did say that. Like, and it was sort of just, I'd, I was always, I've always been that dreamer. So the biggest and best things for me, are something that I can sort of put in my head that I'm an, an able to achieve. So yeah. And anything I'd like to set my mind to, I've not pulling out unless I have a real red hot crack at it. That's for sure. 
before we dive into like some of the experiences that you've had along the way, like, you know, the first half iron, then how that felt and then that hundred K. So I know there's plenty of stories yeah, and plenty of things that make me laugh when I recall the stories we've discussed in all of those. But I wonder how the reception's been from the endurance community, because personally, like I've only run longest I've done is 50 K, right? Yeah. And so I've not done anything astronomical in terms of the the time or the distance or the the day by day or, you know, the size of my challenges. But as someone who's gotten a bit of press and media for it, I've received a lot of love from the endurance community. Like they've been very supportive, but I can imagine that there's also a little bit of, maybe a little bit of fuck you that you get from the people who go, who's this bastard who's just walked into this place and thinks he owns the shop. Like he's going to go <laughs> challenge himself to do something that people wouldn't do after 10 years yeah, of, yeah. of competition in that space. Have you had any negative feedback? I haven't had any negative feedback and I've been, I'm very conscious of who I put myself around in spaces. I, and I probably will once the sort of challenge gets out there a bit more, I think, you're probably going to get a lot of people who are saying how stupid it is, righty rah. Um, but at the moment, I've got myself, and this is why I sort of think I am able to achieve this stuff like the 100K or going and doing whatever I set, sort of set my mind to. I've been extremely lucky, like especially with my family growing up. My parents have always said, whatever I set my mind to, I can go and do. So, um, and that's always led back to when I was a kid. Like it was playing footy, like then when I went into the job site, like getting my builder's license, everything like that, my parents always showed like a massive amount of belief in me. Um, especially like both my younger sisters did as well. It was always like, if you put your mind, like if you even think about it, you can go and do it. Mm. So I've always been really conscious about um, putting myself around people that believe in what I can do and not as much as I do like to have people around me sort of, as soon as someone tells me I can't do it, it's like, I get the biggest fuck you mindset. It's like, if someone says, and I've been sort of praying for someone to actually come up to me and say, you're not going to do it because it's like, I can't wait. Like I've literally been waiting for someone to go, you're not going to do it. And it's even in a sort of little bit of a way, obviously I've been trying to reach out to sponsors and whatnot. Um, and when I reach out to a sponsor and they hit me with a no, I just put them on the nose list straight away. So there's a couple of people on that nose list that it's like, I can see where this is going to go or what I want to make of myself. And those people that don't believe in me, I don't want them in my circle anyway. Mm. So um, yeah, that's where I sort of come to about, I, I, I just, yeah, I don't hear it sort of thing. And I don't put myself in those places where I'm super lucky now where I've got a great community around me where everyone supports what I'm going to go and do. Um, and that's the people I listen to. So, and none of them are saying, Oh no, I wouldn't do it. So that's, that's where I like to come from it. I think that's a wise move. I think anytime you, you know, we've spoken about it heaps, anytime you engage in a community and surround yourself with people of that similar shared mindset and, you know, mm. who are supportive and will back you hundred percent, it's a very good feeling. And it gives you a level of resource that you don't have when you're in the opposite. You know, exactly. the fact that you can lean on so many people for advice, for training, for knowledge who have gone and maybe not, done what you're going to be doing because nobody's done what you're about to be doing but have experienced similar challenges who can share similar thoughts and feelings on what worked for them what hasn't has there mm. been anyone really significant in i guess the knowledge department a coach um, obviously so i've got my coach dave who's on board with it now um and he's been awesome it's actually a really heartwarming sort of thing um obviously after i reached out to you wanting to team up with 65 braces for the challenge. I was like, Oh, well, I better get it. Like better. I hadn't even told my coach at this stage that I was going to do it. So I, I rang him up and I said, you got oh, a habit of that too, don't you? <laughs> I do have a little bit of a habit of that, <laughs> but um, I, yeah, which he probably doesn't like, but it's sort of a way that I like to sort of pressure him into coaching me, I guess. So <laughs> easy way to put it. Um, and to have someone like him on board, the, the real reason why I love having Dave on board as a coach, and he's just a normal guy. Like you wouldn't pick Dave as a coach walking down the street. He's just a genuine Aussie dude. And when I told him about the challenge and doing it for cystic fibrosis, he said to me, he's like, all right, he goes, I'm all in on you. And he's like, I've got my full support behind you. I don't want you to pay for training. Like I've got full belief that you are going to do it. I don't, if you're doing it for a charity like cystic fibrosis, I'm all in on it as much as you are. So to have, awesome. 
so to have someone like that believe in me straight away um it honestly took me back a couple of steps because i was still ready to pay him and all those sorts of things but he can sort of see what i could do as well um so having him in my box is awesome and then i've also got my strength coach who done the same thing as well luke from evolve fitness um once he found out about the challenge he actually hit me up straight away because i'd actually i hadn't even spoken to him about it yet and he just saw it when we done the launch he's like brother what are you doing like what's happening let's let's jump on to an, onto a call and i'll set you up for free i'm all i'm on board so to have people awesome. like that and then obviously um tay my girlfriend she's helping helping with my swimming and that but to have those people that want to just literally help you for the for their own for you yourself but they really believe in you as well that's the biggest thing i think to have those people around you and it's not like going out and trying to get the biggest and the best coaches and like i genuinely believe in the team that i've got but we're all small people we're all just genuine people it's not like i've got to have a coach that's got 20 million followers to go and do this challenge like because if you if you waited for that time to happen you're never going to do it 100% 100% I think that's the thing you've got to you've got to take what you've got and move mm. forward and, and have a crack anyways and and I'm a you know me I'm a big dreamer like yeah. I, I live in the in the dream realm and you know <laughs> I, I think it's really important to shoot for the stars and and at least test yourself 100% and I have full belief that you'll do it and I'm also you know I should say for everyone who's tuning in um, if you don't already know there's a huge link between what I've done in the past marathon wise with cystic fibrosis Australia, obviously as a CF patient, very close to my heart. So it was very touching when um, you made that call, you made that message to me and, you know, asked whether we'd be on board and whether I'd be happy to help, you know, set up that connection for you. And it's, it's been great to see. And it's, it's been a sigh of relief for me because there was this weight of expectation on my shoulders (laughs) that I've got to be the guy who goes out and does the crazy endurance stuff to raise money for CF. So um, you've well and truly saved me a whole heap of hassle. Yeah, pa- pass the button on that one, mate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So a um, little bit of strategy on my behalf too. Yeah. But I want to talk about in particular one person you mentioned in your support circle there, um, your partner, Tay. Yeah, yep. Now I've got a funny story that I'm not sure if maybe Tay has heard yet. But um, as many of you know, I had a an amazing love story with my partner. So <laughs> um, Soph and I fell for each other pretty quickly. And I remember Leno making a comment about two <laughs> weeks into me saying so, saying, far out, that's quick, eh? You're falling uh, pretty quick there. She's yeah. got you, mate. Not too long after, um, I had a conversation <laughs> very similar with you. Sounds uh, like Apple didn't fall far from the tree. Then. <laughs> mate, the, thing, the things you do for love, isn't it right? That's, mate, love uh, wins. <laughs> love always wins. I, I still remember that. Um, me and the boys thought it was pretty funny to take the piss and... Hey, you, you sort of learn out, learn pretty quick, I guess. That's hundred uh, percent. That's one thing I took. I took from that. Yeah. So, hundred percent. Talk to us joke. about this this big move. Obviously, you were moving up to Brizzy, anyways. Yep. Like that was the decision. And then, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you went up for a weekend just to check everything out and, and get your bearings. And um, you found yourself on a run and a little bit, a little bit startled. Yeah. Yeah. So, I've always sort of growing up in Camden where I grew up, I didn't, I guess once I sort of started stepping away from the drinking and the playing footy, I didn't have a whole lot of support in the endurance or the running or the triathlon sort of community. Um, Obviously I had my coach who he still lived 45 minutes away, but other than that, there wasn't, I wasn't able to do sessions with people a lot. It was all just solo go out and establish a mongrel, as you like to say, Um, which that certainly got its purpose as well. Um, and then obviously I found Active Boys, which was down at Wollongong. And that was awesome to be able to find a community on a Sunday morning where you, people weren't going out drinking on a Saturday night. And we had that community where we're going for our runs and long runs and having people to talk to. So I knew that Gold Coast such beauty had that big active vibe and I always wanted to sort of test it out. So yeah, over New Year's, I packed up the ute and had me swag in the back of the tray and thought I'd just go up there and check it out for a week or two before I move up. Um, I was planning on moving up at the start of March anyway. So I was like, let's go up and can chuck me swag out along the beaches and just see what I'm getting myself in for. And yeah, within the space of two days, I'd, I started, went for a run club at mega run, which I now 
um, look, look after. I sort of run one of those now. Um, and yeah, that's where I met Tay and we got talking and Tay being a swimmer, she'd never ran over 6k before and she ended up doing 12k with us, um, on, on one of those mega runs and don't worry, she whinged a fair bit because apparently swimmers don't like to be actually feeling the ground and running. They like to have their buoyancy in the water and bloody blah. So, but yeah, after that, I was sort of a bit love struck. I was like, Oh geez, this, um, this happened a bit all too quick. I actually remember jumping in the ute to drive home and I was like, Oh man, I, I'm sort of want to, I'm already missing her. I want to go back already. So yeah, I can see where you come from, mate. The old love struck. It happens to the best of us. 100%. I can remember us having, I think it was a week after you got home, us finishing a run and, and Tay called on FaceTime and we all had a bit of a yarn. Yes, I, I don't know I do if she'd remember, remember that. that but, <laughs> um, good fun. And it's, you know, it's a nice thing. We joke about it, but it is definitely a nice thing. And especially when you enter, when you enter a phase in your life in which you're really going to test yourself, you're not mm. always going to be at your best, right? Like you're going to be drained. You're going to be sometimes more emotional, um, a little bit yeah. challenged mentally. And to know that you're coming home to someone who has your best interest at heart and can bring you back to center, yeah, you back in a good mindset, I think is really important. A hundred percent. And even for me and Tay, our probably one of our biggest things is our communication. And obviously over the last fair few weeks and with work and training, I've just been exhausted. It's like I get home and obviously I, when I'm out of the house, I'm always a big, bright, bubbly guy at the gym. Mm. I've got to be energetic when I'm training. I'm pretty energetic. And when I'm around people, I'm also energetic. So sometimes when I walk in the door, it's like all that just goes and I just slump. And more recently lately, because of what I'm doing, it's like Tay's always having to check up and she's like, are you okay? Like, but it's, it's just because we've got such a, that open communication. It's not like it's worrying her, but it's like, if you need to talk, I've always got that person there to talk to. And some days it's just like, I don't want to talk. And I'm just like, I'm really exhausted. But to be able to have that person there who understands what you're about to go and put yourself through and wants to be there as a support person and doesn't feel like everything has to then be about them as well. That's yeah. That's a huge benefit to go into something like this. Yeah. Beautifully said, man. I agree a hundred percent. I want to cast our, our minds back to a time before I knew you. And I remember one of the first conversations we had over, over that run was the real change in your lifestyle, the change in your environment over the course of that couple of months. And, yep. you know, you spoke about the consistency, which you touched on a little bit for before, but that consistency of, you know, being out and on the piss and, and you're not really showing up in your life the way that you wanted to, according to um, values, but also hopes and dreams for the future. Yeah, you know, it's a cycle that I think so many Aussie guys get stuck in in their early twenties, and I think what becomes a quite a natural cycle for people to leave school mm-hmm. and to go in that space of you know binge drinking or or consistent drinking on the yeah. weekends and sometimes during the weeks, and to find themselves um, more so in the pub than they are in any other area of their life, showing up with that energy and and that attitude, it can be something that people get stuck in that feels almost impossible to remove themselves from. And it's what was so the decision? A hundred percent. It's so easy. Cause that's what the mm. culture's built around. Mm. Right. Yep. And if you don't like, I, I had almost like a get out of jail free card because with liver disease, I was never going to drink. So no one expected yep. me to rock up the pub for drinks. No yep. one expected me to get pissed on the weekend. I was kind of given the get out of jail free card that yeah. Brad's going to be at home getting a good snooze and waking <laughs> up um, on, on a Sunday morning, nice and fresh. But what was the decision that you made? Like what inspired that decision to go, I need a change here. And then how hard was it to change? Um, I sort of, I guess I got so used to being in the footy culture and the drinking, the partying. And it's one of those things sort of, I've always been, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it good. So when drinking and partying is your thing, I certainly used to take, take it, well, everyone likes to go out for a good time, but I always used to take it that step too far where I wouldn't, nine times out of 10, I wouldn't remember the night out. It's as simple as that, where you're getting home, like I've rocked up home and literally I've woken up days with like no front tooth, not even remembering how I'd done it. Like, so there was lots of stages where I'd wake up and I was like, I'd have to go and ask people what we'd done the night before. For, and it'd be like, oh, they'd tell me and I'd have little bits of vision about what happened. So 
as much as I love being in the life of the party, it was like I was doing it sort of for everyone else and how I was perceived, but I wasn't doing it for myself. It was like, cause I never actually remembered it. Mm. So I sort of, I found the 75 hard podcasts through my sister. So the challenge of, which is two 45 minute workouts a day, um, 3.8 liters of water. Uh, sorry. So, so you got two workouts, 3.8 liters of water, 10 pages of reading a day. Um, stay on a diet the whole time, like eat healthy food and then no junk food. And I'm pretty sure that's it for the first challenge. Um, which I was like that to when she first brought it home to me, I was like, that's stupid. Like who would even try and do that? Mm. Um, and then once I started listening to Andy Frizzell's podcast, I was like, Oh, this is actually, I'll probably listen to like 50 of his podcasts before I actually even started the challenge. But a lot of it was talking about the non-drinking or doing something difficult in your life where you can actually get something from. And at that stage, I wasn't doing anything difficult. I was sort of being really blase with life. And it's one of those things that's so easy to fall into the habit where I had just found it easy to go to work all week from Monday to Friday as a builder, do my, do my time. Then once it hits Friday night, you're at the pub all day, like all night, Friday night. You wake up on Saturday, you probably go and do half a day's work whilst being hungover. And then you get Saturday Arvo at the pub or the or Saturday night. And then Sunday, you're like, you ever go into the footy and then you're drinking all day or whatever it was. So mm. I just found that I'd made that so easy for myself. Um, and then I was like, when on my 23rd birthday, I sort of had a bit of a dummy spit and I actually reacted really bad when I was on the piss. Um one of my mates had tripped me over and I'd like hit myself with a bottle and split me open. And normally like for me, that's just like a laugh moment, whatever, let's just strap it back up. But for me at that stage, I just lost my shit. Like, which was so out of character, like not once in my life had I got aggressive whilst drinking. So after that, I was like, Oh, and I'd been wanting to stop for a while. And I was like, well, that's the perfect opportunity to stop. So straight that next weekend, I then started 75 hard. And this was, obviously before I met you guys at active boys, but that's when I really found out the group of people that I was around didn't want me to go and be anything more than who I was at the pub. Um, I couldn't still remember like going to parties. Cause one thing that I wanted, I didn't want to change who I was, but I wanted to just be more confident in myself when I was sober because I was always brought up with the idea that if you don't drink, you can't be trusted sort of thing. That's what, like my pop said to my dad and my dad sort of, there was always the thing around our family. And if you're not a drinker and you can't be trusted at a pub, whatever. So when I was going to these parties or whatnot, I always felt really left out or really awkward, I guess, who do I talk to, whatever. And everyone's always saying, oh, why aren't you drinking? What are you doing? Like, and it's like, oh, I'm just, I'm doing this challenge. And then everyone's like, oh, well, you can just drink anyway. You'll be right. Like, but the whole point is if you, then you break one of your habits on your challenge, you got to start again. Um, and I was like, nah, I'm good, whatever. And probably over that 75 days, I did lose a fair few mates um, or people that I thought were my mates, just because it's one of those things. If you're not doing what their norm is, then you're not really a part of the crew anymore. Um, and then that's, yeah, sort of to answer your question, that's really what pushed me into that. I was like, I just want to big change my life. And once I started, I was just like, by the time I hit day 30, I was like, this is what I'm meant to be doing. And I just knew I could go. I had so much confidence. I could go anywhere, talk to anyone and just be myself and mm. actually not have to go and have three beers before I could feel social. I felt like I could go and talk to people and have really good conversations and still be myself and still do stupid stuff and whatever it was. But at least I would actually get the enjoyment of remembering doing it rather than doing it for everyone else's entertainment and I'd never have a recollection of it. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think as we sort of touched on the Australian culture is built off the back of you go to the pub, have a beer with your mates. That's what makes you an Aussie. That's what makes you a bloke. Mm. And if you don't do that, you're a bit soft. Yeah. And so I think there's this idea tied in that to be masculine, to mm. be a man, you have to do that. But then you listen to guys like Andy Frizzella who are talking yep. about who I'd argue that's a fucking masculine character. 
that's that's he's, he's a go go. He's got some <laughs> he's got some mongrel about him, right? Yeah. You listen to a guy like that. You listen to a guy like Goggins. You listen to these people who can look extreme on the surface yep. level, but have turned to an extreme approach to change what were extreme consequences to quite unhealthy actions in the past. Mm. And when you see them speak about what this does for you and does for the quality of your life, yeah, you start to go, hold on, maybe there's more to this. Maybe there's more rewarding things on the other side of, you know, not looking for instant gratification, but rather learning to appreciate delayed gratification. Yeah, And I think that's the challenge for a lot of people. Like I said, personally, I never struggled with not being able to drink because I, I couldn't. Like I knew from yeah. the age of nine with liver disease that I would never drink alcohol. But I remember being like 16, going to, like going to a party or going, you know, to what we used to call an open house back in the day for all the young yeah. kids <laughs> listen to this. I didn't go to many of them. Um, wasn't really my cup of tea, but I say, I remember going there and always being the odd one out because I wasn't drinking. Mm. And I remember thinking like, this feels okay for me, but they all think that I'm the odd one out here. And I don't feel that odd uh, because I know this is the way that my life is going to be, but I wonder at what point in time it changes or shifts for them. Mm. And I used to, and I used to deal with it probably not in the most positive way where I used to kind of lash out a little bit at my mates and go, fuck, pull your heads in. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, or, yep. or I didn't like seeing people, seeing people show up as not the best version of themselves. Cause I knew the kind of people they were deep down. Yeah. But I realized eventually that, you know, if you force your ways upon other people, it just pushes them further away. And I thought one day, if I just continue to, to live the way that I'm living, hopefully I can lead by example. And I know a bunch of my mates who after hanging around with me and watching me drink soda waters and save a bunch of money on a night out, <laughs> but still be social and still be fun and, and wake up the next day and go for a massive run. Yeah. All of a sudden like, fuck, I think we're going to give up drinking for a bit. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting to see that shift and that change in people. But I, I think if you're thinking about it right now at this point in your life, you want that change. Do not expect it to be easy. Cause let me tell you, people will try and fucking hold you down with them. Oh, Man, a thousand percent. And this is like you were just saying then about trying to push your ways on the people. So in our sort of household, we had, I'd done 75 hard. And then when I was up to like day 50, then my mum done it. And then Jess, who's the middle child, then she done it. Um, So in our household of five, three of us had done 75 hard. So we went from a big household of everyone always drinking to three of us not drinking And then my dad, who he will have eight to 12 beers a night. And just because he he works all day in the heat and he wants to come home Mm. and sit back and have eight to 12 beers. Um, And then my younger sister, who she doesn't actually drink that much either. So it was all of us who have then stopped drinking. Then it was like sort of looking at dad as in, why is he drinking? And he drank his whole life. So this was nothing different for us, but it was because we'd all stopped drinking that we're now starting, like we were starting to notice it more. And that sort of put a lot of pressure on me and his relationship because we were working together as well. I'd always, we'd have to like always stop in a bottle on the way home. Like I'd have to drive the truck to the like 15 minutes away from home to go to the bottle to get him three long necks on the way home. And then we'd drive home. And that caused like a heap of tension on our relationship because I was always like, I couldn't see from his point of view, like that was normal for him and he enjoys that but I was just always pushing my point of view onto him. And it caused a big lot of tension until I realized that he does that and he enjoys that. And there's nothing wrong with him doing that, but I've got to be accepting of it. Like Mm. if he wants to live his life that way and he still goes out, he works as hard as anyone, probably one of the hardest workers there is going around and it doesn't impact his life in any other way. But just because I don't think that's the right way of living doesn't mean it's not right. Like, and he enjoys doing that. And there's plenty of other people that enjoy doing that and can live successful lives. But you've also got to understand that sometimes for those relationships, you're just going to burn those bridges. If you try and really force it onto everyone that sometimes it's just not for them. Talk to me about your mates. Like how hard was it to see a couple of people who you thought were there for you through thick and thin peel away during that time? Yeah, I think, and I, I wouldn't put the blame onto them as well. I think I'd also take the blame for a lot of that as well. Some of the 
friendships that did fizzle out over that time. Um, I think just because once you sort of start going to a pub sober and I, I still enjoyed being there, but you're always getting those sly comments about, Oh yeah. Do you want to, do you want to drink? And I'm like, Oh, can I just grab a water or whatever? And we're like, Oh, what do you want water for? Like, what don't you want to be this? And it's just always little sly comments. And I sort of, I myself got a bit fed up with that where it's like, mm. all right, it's probably, it's probably warranted the first two weeks because I know when I was a drinker, I used to do it to everyone. But it's like, and I never saw it from my point of view until I was in the sober one. Yeah. Um, like, so the first like two weeks to a month, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, it is what it is. But then once it starts getting to that stage of two, three months, and it's still, you're still going to the pub and it's still the exact same words you're getting said. I was just like, well, what's the point of me even being here? Like you, you, all, you already feel like you left the odd one out and then you sort of feel even though I could still get there and I'd still be the life of the party or life of the pub, whatever, I'd still be out making jokes, talking to everyone, but you just still feel that bit on the outer. Um, obviously because you're not on their level of being pissed and running around carrying on. So yeah, I think, look, and that's the thing, like it's not for everyone. Like I wouldn't say everyone wants to go out and train 25 hours a week. Like I do, because it, and even for me, I sort of look at it now and I'm like, shit, that's a lot to comprehend. So I don't try and push my ways of how I live onto everyone. Like I enjoy the way I live and I love my lifestyle, but I know for someone who wants to go and drink at the pub and whatnot, that's for them. Hmm. And do I think living a lifestyle more close to mine would be better for them in the long run? And they'd be able to build a lot more confidence up being sober. Yes. But some people just really don't want to take that step. There is so much pressure that they put on themselves to never take that step. Um, like I've had mates that tried, like they ask, Oh, can I have a book th that you recommend? And it's like, you give them the book and then you ask them two weeks later, Oh, how do you go with the book? It's like, Oh, I've read the first two pages. And like some people just really don't value their own word. I think that's, that's what I sort of think the biggest thing for me is if I say I'm going to do something, 99% chance I'm going to do something unless something goes really wrong. But there's so many people that will say, Oh yeah, I'll come for, for a run with you on Sunday morning. So when it comes Sunday morning, they're hitting snooze on the alarm. They're going back to bed because they don't value their own word. And that's, that's a big thing when I sort of got away from drinking and I've always been lucky that my parents raised me to say like value your own word, be a man of your word. So I've always had that self-belief and that self-value. If I'm saying I'm going to go up and get up at four o'clock in the morning, as soon as my alarm's going off, I'm getting up. There's no way that I'm hitting the snooze and going back to bed. Like that's just, I'd never give my chance, like self a chance to do that. Yeah, I agree with you. That's probably one of the biggest changes in my life. Like in 2020, when I decided to start training for the first marathon, it took a real switch in the level of discipline in which I'd had previous to that. Like as yep. a kid, I was a competitive athletic kid. Like I loved fitness. I loved training. I, I basically played sport and competed seven days a week. Yep. Um, my parents must've loved that. <laughs> <laughs> the run around. <laughs> yeah. The run around. Um, but you know, I, I think back to between the ages of like 18 and, and 23. Yep. Man, I was lazy. Like yeah. I'd maybe get to the gym twice a week and then I'd, I'd get there and I'd fucking fart ass around and do bugger all. And, you know, didn't really push myself. I done what was comfortable and I didn't really progress and I never done any cardio based training because, you know, I was like, Oh, what do I need that for? What do I want that for? Which is what yep. had kept me so well CF wise for my whole life. Yeah. But then when I made the change in 2020, it took like a, a genuine it was more disciplined than anything. It took a genuine and conscious decision to say, I'm going to be very disciplined. Yeah. And if I say I'm going to do something, if something is in my schedule, I think that's where a coach helped me as well. Like having Benny Seymour on board yeah, where he said, you've got to do this on this day for this long or for this many Ks. Yep. You've got to be in the gym and do this session was like, okay, if I don't do that, I suffer because of that choice. Yeah, I have to live with the consequences. And for me that you know, very conscious decision to get disciplined and get very, in, you know, to have some real intent for the way that I was going to live my life and go about my training. 
life-changing for me to a point in which now where if I wake up in the morning and I don't want to go for a run, very rare (laughs) because I just value, you know what I mean? Like I just value discipline. It's very rare that I'd wake up and go, I'm not going to do what I said I was going to do today. And like, I'd have to be genuinely pretty bloody crook. And and then even in saying that I've run two marathons with bleeding lungs. So like I'm talking, I've got to be proper. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's one of those things that I think you're right. Um, If you value your word, the way that you show up in the world Mm. has a significant impact on your outcomes. And I think the biggest thing with that is, and it's sort of just like building your own confidence in what you can actually do and Mm. building your own confidence in your own word, because you're not going to believe yourself straight away. Like you can't just say, all right, tomorrow, if you're not running, you can't just say, okay, from now on, I'm going to go and run every day for the rest of my life because you're going to get a week into it and you're going to hate it. And that's when I was really lucky in a sense that I met Dave, my coach, because obviously I was walking around telling everyone I was going to do an Ironman straight away off the bat. And I was like, oh, who's the coach? Like who coaches around here? Like I need a coach. Obviously I don't know what I'm doing. And he said to me straight away, like this was April, I think it was April or May that I met Dave. And he said to me, he's like, oh, you want to do an Ironman? I was like, yep, straight away, like as soon as possible. I think this is the next Ironman I can do. And he's like, man, he's like, you are not, he's like, sure. He's like, you look like a fit kid, whatever. He's like, but you will, if you go straight to doing something that extreme, he's like, sure, you might last out the 12 weeks of training and get, and you might finish the Ironman. He's like, but I can guarantee if you go from zero base of triathlon to going and doing a full Ironman in 12 weeks, he's like, you'll literally never get, he's like, you'll never do another triathlon in your life. He's like, because it is so grueling that you'll just hate it, which I was really lucky that he then convinced me to go and do a half Ironman. And then I loved it. Like that process, which I just fell in love with because it was smaller buildup. And I was just able to slowly keep ticking off those like goal items Mm. rather than, so I was just able to take small steps on the way up rather than trying to do that big leap and maybe 50, 50 hit it or not. But even if you do hit it, it's going to be grueling and you're not going to like it and you're going to suffer. And like, I like suffering, but it's like, you might get to the point where you think you're making a good change and you go, you suffer and then you go, all right, I've done it. I'm never doing one of those again. Radio, right, time to go back to the pub and live that life that I used to live. And I've also got another story of saying that I've done an Ironman. So it's all yeah. about finding that nice, it's all about putting that self-belief in yourself that you're a runner or you, you're a gym goer or you, you're a swimmer or whatever it is that you want to go and do. You've got to believe in yourself that you go out and you go and do that all the time. Because if you don't believe it, that's all that matters. As long as you believe you can go and do something, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. 100%. And it's, I think it's about building systems. You know, I, I've been reciting a quote a fair bit lately. You've probably heard me say it from Atomic Habits, which I will admit I've not read, but I've heard some good things about <laughs> it. Um, James Clear says, we rarely rise to the level of our goals, but rather fall to the level of our systems. And I think that's mm. bang on. I think yep. it's exactly what you're saying there is that, you have to develop things and systems and, and routines in your life, which are um, manageable you know? because how often you'd hear it all the time. I hear people say, and it is very true that most people, if they summoned up some real mongrel could probably go and complete a marathon this weekend. Yep. Now it may take them um, a various amount of times to complete that. It, it may mean they walk, over half of it, it may mean that they crawl across the finish line, they will complete it. But what they will likely not do is be able to move their body for the week later, maybe Mm, for the month later. And they'll have injuries that could be devastating for months. And so it's the systems allow you to consistently show up, which I think is very important in this space. And, you know, talk about consistently showing up. You're (laughs) going to know all about that for 36 days straight. So it's really nice to hear that you've got the right people in your corner. Let's go to that particularly let's talk about that hundred K in December yeah. because I know that was a, that's a big effort. Like we're talking how many hours? 16. Uh, yeah. 15, 45. So yeah, call it 16 hours. Yeah. Call it 16. Long time on the, feet. yeah. <laughs> the funny thing about this. So I remember 
you telling me that you were going to run the Kosciuszko 100K in December? I think it was like yeah. the 2nd of December, if I'm right. Uh, no, 15th. 15th. Okay. Yeah, I'm completely 15th. off. The 15th yeah. of December. It's still December, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the end of the year, basically. It's Christmas. And, yeah. you know, Christmas in Australia is a bloody hot time of the year. Mm. And I remember thinking, oh, mate, you're going to have to be on top of your fluids. Like, you're going to be losing plenty of water, plenty of salt. That's as you would in any conditions, but that is yep. a grueling effort in the heat. Yep. Um, and then I checked your story the morning of the race and it was negative two degrees. Yeah. Freezing, snowing. And- <laughs> <laughs> Talk to me about that experience because that, those conditions, obviously not ideal to go and run a hundred kilometers in, but I'm sure that gives you a level of confidence that you've been able to conquer something like that. Well, that was the thing. So what, like that's how I got sold Kosciuszko. I was like, oh, should be beautiful conditions, 25 degrees, like, which I got sold that half the, what, seven weeks out. I think I, yeah, it was like seven weeks out, eight weeks out that I was some, one of my mates got me to sign up for it. Um, And he's like, man, he goes, it should be a nice day. He's like, it'd be nice and warm. You get to see all these beautiful views. Um, And then I was like, yeah, whatever, I'll sign up. And people are selling their tickets left, right and center because they get to eight weeks out and realize that they can't actually run a hundred K, um, which I didn't know if I could, <laughs> like still at this stage, when I signed up, the longest I'd ran was the half marathon in my Ironman. So, um, I was like, Oh, right. Yeah. This is, this is going to find out what I can do in seven weeks of prep, which once again, I told my coach after I'd already signed up and, um, he just looked at me and said, you're an idiot pretty much. She, I said, well, I'm an idiot. And I can even go and try and do this myself or you can help this idiot and coach me. So, which I'm very grateful for Dave to jump in. And he's always been super supportive of me, but he just shakes his head sometimes. He, he's one of those people that just go, why do you do this to yourself? He, he still doesn't comprehend it. <laughs> but um, that's when I started coming down to Active Boys like every Sunday. And it was awesome that that training that I got to do with it. Cause we had that group on the Sunday mornings going for long runs. Um, and that's one thing that I really cherish about that sort of time in my life, about those six, seven weeks. How it was every Sunday morning, we're getting out, we're doing 20 K together. There's a couple of half marathons there. Um, do you remember, do you remember that run that I took his on where I said, Oh, leave the, um, leave the course to me. I'll take his on a bit of an adventure. Oh, you were going and to take us through the park and the park was going shut. to take it through botanic gardens. that was shut. <laughs> then we went through an oval that was completely bogged. Like it was that muddy and we're oh. running across fucking freeways. <laughs> and um, last time I was ever allowed to plan a course. Yeah. yeah the Strava King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, and it was all like the friendships that I built up through that sort of block of training was awesome. And then, yeah, I got to Kosciuszko and three, I think like two weeks out. Cause I was the same as you middle of December. It's going to be hot. And they give you like this long, it's like three pages of stuff that you must take. And I've been reading the list and I'm like, I don't need to take all this, but it's mandatory to have. So I was like, oh, I'll just go and buy like a cheap long sleeve that they say to get. So normally I think most people like spend 500 to a thousand bucks on gear. I think I spent like a hundred bucks because I was like, I'll just get all the cheapest shit because it's going to be hot and you're not going to use your thermals. And like, I'd grab dad's old waterproof pants that had holes in them and all the, or just... I was like, I'm going to show them it and I'm just going to chuck it away because I'm not going to use it. And yeah, so two weeks out, I'm like, they're showing knee-high snow all of a sudden. And I'm like, oh, this is a bit bit strange. And then it got to three days before it and they actually had to change of course. So, because um, there was that much snow at the top of Mount Kosciuszko. So yeah, getting there on the, on the day of, I'm just looking around going, this is mental. So I'm like all rugged up. This is the first time I've been to the snow I've got like four jackets on walking around like a big sumo bloke. And I'm like, oh, anyway. So as pretty much as soon as I took off, I got about a K up the road and I had to pull like two jumpers off. I was sweating bullets. And then mm. obviously like with the altitude, I never sort of thought of that as well. So the breathing is already thin. And I'm just sweating bullets. And at that stage, I was still the longest continuous run I'd done was 23K before I'd done Mount Kosciuszko. So... I knew I was going to be able to do it, but I just didn't know what I was going to suffer during it. And by the time I hit like 45, I think the hardest bits were were between 45 to 63Ks. Um, My knees were just killing me. And I just like didn't know 
how much further I could push my body. And obviously I'd already ran like doubled my longest distance I'd ever ran in one go. So I was like, Oh, this is, there was a lot of those dark moments because you're just by yourself. There was a lot of people around, but those specifically those three hours for me, I was just by myself. Mm. Um, people were coming past or you were going past people, but it was just very lonely for me at those stages. And then all of a sudden I got a big gust of wind at the 63 K checkpoint and, then I ran to the 70k checkpoint and then there was a long checkpoint of like 22k's between the 70 to the 92k checkpoint and that felt like the loneliest path I've ever been on like there, I think there was a stage like 15k I did not see a single person and I'm thinking oh I don't know if I've gone off track I'm seeing all these pink dots but I was like surely I would have seen someone passing yeah. me or coming on me going past or whatnot and didn't see anyone for ages but just once I, once I did finish hundred K I sort of crossed that line and the pain that I had at the 45 K had just gone away. Like literally I didn't feel any bits of pain at all after running hundred K and I was, I was just so jacked up. I was like, I couldn't believe that I'd done it, how I'd done it. Like I literally really surprised myself with my mindset over the whole thing. Like I didn't listen to music the whole time. I just was in my head. Like I wanted to feel every bit of pain. Um, and then, yeah, once I crossed that finish line, I was like, okay, like this is where we're on here now, like to go and do something that everyone, everyone sort of thought that was pretty crazy for me to go and do a hundred K off seven weeks of training or six weeks of training. Um, so yeah, to go and do that, I was like, okay, if people are thinking that's crazy, like now I can actually start going and doing some, some pretty, pretty big stuff. Um, which then led to, I'd always had the idea of doing the half Ironman. So as soon as I'd done that, I was like, I wrote in my goals list. I was like, next year, the, the goal was 30 half Ironmans in 30 days, but then I found someone done 35. So I was like, radio, we're going for 36 now. <laughs> the old one up. The old one up. So, you know, yeah, nah. it's interesting for me, man, because I think I commonly hear from people in the endurance space. And I know a lot of people said to me in the lead up to my first marathon, when you finish a marathon, one of two things happens. The first option is you love it so much that you can't wait to do another one. And mm. personally, that's how I felt. Yep. The second option is you hated the experience so much. You never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> you never even contemplate it. And it's always interesting to see, like I remember being quite curious to speak to you post event to hear your thoughts. And obviously it takes, you know, there's like a, a week where you recover and you mm. reminisce and, you know, when it really is fun to reminisce on those events and what you've learned from it, what you've learned about yourself, how you responded, how you showed up, what you could have yeah. changed, what you will change, you know, coming into yeah. your next big event. But I was really curious to hear your thoughts on how you felt about now challenging yourself at that same level or, or a larger level. And you know, you've responded obviously in quite yeah. tenaciously. Doubled down or tripled yeah. down, as some would say. <laughs> really bit down on the mouth guard. Yeah, so yeah. Dig. <laughs> but it is always interesting to hear because 16 hours of, of pain and, you know, suffering mm. is something that can change your mind about almost nearly anything. So yeah, I, I love the, the direction we're moving in now. Talk to me about some of the lessons you've learned over the course of these months, you know, specifically prepping for, the big challenge, the break. What are we calling it? We're calling it breaking barriers. Breaking for barriers for CF. Yeah. I yeah. like it. Talk to me about the lessons. Well, the big, the big thing that I've learned is really just consistency. Consistent. Like it's one thing. So when I first wanted to do it, obviously I've got a bit of a, I'd like to think now that I've started doing triathlons and whatnot, I've been paying a lot more um, notice to people doing their own coaching and whatnot. And I was always thought, I was like, oh, I could coach myself and I've got a good idea. And like my first week that I'd done up for myself, it was going to be 24 hours of training. And this was out of coming out of like three months off proper training. I was just doing bits and pieces. And Dave, who's very switched on, he goes, how about we just drop it down to like 16 hours? And I'm thinking like, oh, I feel like I can do 24. Like if I'm going to have to do this challenge, like I'm going to have to start hard and just keep pushing my body to like limits the whole way. And the first week where we done 16 hours, I was crippled. Like my body was just shot. And I was just like, oh my God. Like I was actually th like at that stage, I was like, what have I just, 
put my name out there saying I'm going to do because I, I, I had some pretty serious doubts those first couple of weeks of training that I was going to be able to do it because I, like even though my mind I was like yeah my mind's clear as I can go and smash this out my body was just in agonizing pain off 16 hours of training which over these the course of this event I'm going to be doing with seven days like nearly 50 hours I guess a week of half Ironman so massive it's when you look at 16 compared to 50 you got a long way to go and when I'm already hurting a lot at 16 I was just thinking wow what what's my body going to cop at 50 until we just kept building that up every single week slowly it might be like adding half an hour on the long ride on a sad day adding another 3k on our run whatever whatever it was um, and could have even just been on a Thursday on the intervals on the bike. We just add an extra six minutes, like adding one extra interval. Um, and then over that pace of the last, I think we're now fourth, uh, we're in our fifth month of training block now. And now I'm doing 24 hours of training a week and smashing out so much more intensity than I was. And my body's just pulling up good. So it's all about being so consistent. It's about like, really just doing those little things at the start and just building them up rather than trying to jump straight in. And like, I haven't had an injury touch wood yet. Mm. So it's one of those things like I could have easily went and done, not easily, but I could have went, if I had went straight to 24 hours, fair chance I'm going to get injured, which then I've got to take at least three, four weeks off or do minimal stuff for three, four weeks whilst I then go again. So there's a whole month gone already. So it's all about just being consistent and just slowly building up those blocks. Um, another thing that I've learned recently is just like really blocking out what you want to do as a human and try not to people please or anything like that. I think everyone's got their priorities that they want to do in life, whether it be some people just want to go to a beach on a Sunday or some people want to go out on a Saturday night or some people want to go for a run Sunday morning, whatever it is, or some people have just got these huge goals that it's like, I've got to just be myself for the next two, three months and I can't socialize too much. But whatever it is, you've really got to just really think about yourself first. As selfish as it does sound, but if you think about yourself first, you're then able to give your best to the people around you. So for me, it's like, I don't even think about going out on a Friday or a Saturday night now. Like if I, if we, if I speak to my mates and it's like, oh, do you want to go for dinner? I'm like, all right, let's go for dinner at 4.30, which it's like, it's like an Arvo, it's like, one, it's like lunchtime pretty much. But I'm like, if I'm going for dinner, I'm going for dinner at 4.30 and I'm back home at like 6.30, 7 o'clock because I know the next morning I'm getting up at 4 o'clock to go and ride or whatever it is. Yeah. So I think as selfish as it might sound, you're actually going to then give yourself, like you're going to give the best of yourself to those people as well. Like I'd know if I was trying to people please and then I was like, if they're like, oh, do you want to go for dinner on a Saturday night? And I said, yeah, sure. Whatever time you want to do. And they say, if they come back to me and said 7.30, I was like, yep, I'll come for dinner at 7.30. I'd know if I got there for dinner at 7.30, I'd be looking at my watch the whole time. I wouldn't be engaging in conversation. And then I'd get up the next day and I wouldn't be able to give my all to the workout. Whereas if I then try and revolve and it's not being selfish. It's just trying to revolve stuff around you that works better for yourself. And it's also not going to worry them to go earlier either. Mm. So whereas if I go there at 4.30, it's like I'm bubbly. I want to be there. I'm not watching the clock the whole time. I still know no matter what time we like, you can stay there talking for four hours. You're still going to be getting home at 8.30, like rather than getting somewhere at 7.30 and getting home at 10. Like the for ladies sure. are going to, like you can get a real big conversation in and you're not worried about that time. So yeah, it's just a little, just focusing on what you want to do with your time. I think that's not a people look at, not a lot of people look at that. They sort of try and please everyone else. Yeah. I think it's also, cause this is something I definitely struggle with it. Like I'm a big people pleaser and, and always kind of have been, cause I want to be that guy that everyone feels like they can rely on. And, you know, Brad shows up even when Brad doesn't <laughs> feel like he should be showing up and, you know, you kind of, there's almost like, it feels like I'm being a hero if I, yeah. if I say yes to everyone and, and I'm that people pleaser, but I've learned the hard way yep. that that burns you out pretty quick. And it takes a lot from what you're trying to achieve personally, as you said. And I think it's a, it's a real skill to develop yeah. the, 
I guess, to, to develop the courage essentially to be able to say no, or mm. to be able to say, but what have we done it this way? Yep. But also remembering that it's only a season of your life. Man. Like you're not going to yeah. be in this level of intensity forever. Yeah. And, you know, so it's like for a season, you may have to be more selfish so that you can achieve what you hope to achieve. Mm. And then coming off the back of that, you get to be a little bit more social or, or knowing you, you'll fucking sign yourselves up for something even crazier off the back of this and, <laughs> you know, be even in more in the hurt locker. But I guess for everyone, it's just important to remember that the seasons to your life. Well, and that's even funny. Like, I like how you speak about seasons of your life there, because for me, when I was back in my party phase, there is, you wouldn't catch me anywhere else, but a pub on a Friday slash Saturday night, Sunday night, whatever it is, Thursday night after footy training, like that's just what I found normal. So, and I never even used to think of how I'd manage my time or whatnot. And I always used to think back then I was so busy and Mm. it's like, I was sort of busy doing a whole lot of not much, I guess. And it's sort of, I sort of look back at it now and I'm like, now I'm actually busy. Whereas before, back then I was like, yeah, you're still working 45 hours a week or whatever it is. But when you're not working, your free time, you're just spending kicking stones sort of thing. Whereas, Whereas now, like whenever I've got free time, I'm actually doing stuff to push myself forward or actually going and doing something nice or whatever it may be. I'm not just walking around kicking stones, watching Netflix shows, or I've actually watched a couple of, I watched a movie on Sunday night, which was pretty nice, but other what did you that, watch? Uh, what was it? Honest Thief. That's it. With Honest Thief. Honest Thief. Um, it's got, is that new? Yeah. Liam Nielsen in it. Oh yeah. He's, um, yeah. he's a cracker, isn't he? It was actually, it was actually really good. I haven't watched a movie in Yonks, but I was like, yeah, not bad. So can you watch a Liam Neeson movie without thinking about that line from Taken though? Yeah. I literally, I think I said it about four times in the movie. <laughs> yeah. So good. Oh, so good. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's, it's these times of your life and, and this is a season where you're digging deep for you. Um, yep. But, but let me preface that, not just for you, for, yeah. you know, thousands of people within the CF community of Australia who um, will be on your shoulders throughout the course of this challenge and, and riding your home because you're doing something very generous for the cause. So I mm-hmm. think it's important for people to understand that too. Yeah. You know, I, I guess we're coming to the end of this conversation here where I, I want to wrap it up and make sure that everyone who's tuned in yeah. has the means to go and support you in this journey, yep. but also to, to guess, I guess, connect with you on social. So I'll make sure that everywhere that people can, support the fundraising efforts are uh, in the show notes. I'll make sure that all your social tags are in there. Yep. Are there any final messages? Um, I just really want everyone listening to this just to get fired up and go and do stuff for themselves. It's the big purpose behind this is obviously to raise the money and awareness for CF, but it's also, I like to call it like a bit of a three, three part thing. Like obviously the challenge I want to do as a challenge for myself And then I really want to raise the funds and awareness for CF because that's a big goal and it deserves to have that spotlight on it. And there's so many amazing people that do have the CF um, gene. And it's like, these are the kindest people going around. Like the the messages that I have received from people living with CF or that have got kids with CF really has just warmed my heart so much. Like I've been taken back by some of the messages of people messaging me saying like, our son will like know your name when he grows up. Like it's just the thought of the community that CF has. It really is. It's, it's amazing. And then the next thing I want to do is the, and the reasons why I do do these tasks that are so big and so out of my league, even though people seem to think that I've just always been gifted in running or whatever it is. And it's like, you know, all too well, not too long ago, I'd only just done my first 12 K run. So it's so many people are, put me as like, oh yeah, Lane, Lane's allowed to run because he's done this his whole life. But I haven't like, I've just, I'm just out there and I love having a crack. So if, if I could send everyone off with a message, it's just like, get out and have a crack at what you love. And it doesn't have to be the same thing as me. It's not like I'm going to force everyone to go and jump in a pool. And actually I don't enjoy swimming. It's not like I'm going to force everyone to go out and run. Like I enjoy running, but 
go and do what you love. And if that's just spending more time with your family or going out and playing golf or playing darts or whatever it is, just have that crack. Like life's too short not to enjoy it. So I really want people to go out and chase after their dreams. And that's, that's what I sort of really want the big takeaway of this to be. That's a beautiful message, brother. And, and I'll double down on that. I want to make sure that, like I said, everyone goes ahead to the show notes, finds mm-hmm. your social links, the fundraising links, also the links to your podcast, which I'll put in there as well. Watch your crazy. Um, that explains itself. And, <laughs> and, you know, everyone get behind 36 half Ironmans. It's called, you know, in 36 days, it's called Breaking Barriers for CF. Um, yep. The man, Leno Insano Storia. Such a pleasure to have you on the show, brother. Thank you very much, mate. That was an honor. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of A Lot to Talk About. It means the world that you guys are in my corner, that you continue to listen to the show every week. And if you could do me a massive favor by following the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it and sharing this episode in particular with just one friend that you feel would benefit from it, that would mean the world to me and it would help the show grow. The more the show grows, the bigger the guests we get on the more that we can do and the more we can share and support you guys, the listeners, the viewers of the show. Before I go, I want to pay my respects and recognize the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and record this podcast. The Aboriginal culture has such a rich history in storytelling and as a passionate storyteller, I really hope that the stories we share and connect with on the show can allow the many cultures that now call this beautiful land Australia their home to come together and continue to respect the stories and the culture that make this the land it is today. Thank you so much for tuning into A Lot To Talk About. I'll catch you next week.